Good morning, guys. How's everyone doing? You guys look awesome. Did y'all enjoy the worship? I thought it was awesome. Those songs really spoke to me and and the message I have for you today. Um, Anyway, guys, I'm just so glad to see you all here, uh, that we can come together. Um, So today, I'm titling this message. I'm going to kind of jump right into it. I'm titling this message, Death to DIY, okay? Death to DIY. Now, um, for my non-Pinteresters out there, um, one, you should get with the program, and uh, two, DIY stands for do-it-yourself, right? So do-it-yourself. It's a, it's a big trend right now um, that we want to do everything. We want to make things ourselves. You can buy kits to make things yourself. They're more expensive than the actual product, but you get to do all the work that the factory didn't have to do. Um, so there's that. Uh, but before, before like all my like, uh, DIYers out there get mad at me, you should know that Jessica and I are DIY advocates. We love to make things ourselves. Now, most of the time, we make random junk we've seen on Pinterest, then it goes in like a corner of the house somewhere that we never look at it again, okay? We have like one of those crayon melting things. Anyone else do that when that was a big thing? And it's just hanging in like on a wall that no one actually looks at. Yeah. Yeah. London just wants to get it in color with it every time she sees it. We're like, we did that like five years before you were born. We should probably do something with it, actually. But yeah, so most of the time our DIY projects, it's just stuff that looks cool, right? Um, But this year, I decided to take on, for Christmas, a big DIY project, okay? I I wanted to get Jessica something, not just something, right? I wanted to do something really, really special. So I decided to take on uh, a pretty big DIY project. Um, Something you should know about me is uh, I'm, I'm more of a tech person. These hands, these are made for computers. I could type with the fury of something furious, okay? Manual labor. I find that I'm not great at it, okay? And and I I know a basic amount. Like, I know enough to get me by. I could build a house that would fall down if I needed to. Um, So I I, I know enough to, like, be able to run a saw, you know, draw a straight line. My dad worked, was like a carpenter and worked all his life, manual labor, um, and I got to hold boards for him. So I, I got to watch uh, how it's supposed to be done. He, he taught me how to run the saw. It was just always wrong, so he had to recut anyway. So, but I was really good at holding boards. Um, so I decided for Christmas, I was, I was going to man up, right? I was going to build her, but not just something small. No, 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 no. I'm going to go. I'm going to above and beyond. This is the year, right? She's going to like fall into my arms, best husband ever. Right, that's the dream. Um, this is the reality. I'm not necessarily great at building things. Um, I discovered that. I remembered that halfway through, and um, I, I made the plan because I'm a planner. I can I can figure things out. I made a plan on a computer. That was my skill set. Should have made a plan for someone else to follow. Um, but I made a plan on a computer. I made a plan months before. I started the project five days before. So we see the flaw, right? Um, I started the project about five days before. Now, five days before, my plan was on that day, I was going to get all of my cutting done. Well, that didn't go as planned, okay? Because I decided five days before Christmas to do all my cutting, but I decided to start with the board I did not want to cut. So I had two by 12s that were going to make our nightstands. And I was going to cut them at 19 inches wide because we need big nightstands to put stuff in, right? And uh, I was going to cut these nightstands out. And they were going to be 12 inches deep, 19 inches wide. And so I was going to cut that big board first. I didn't want to do it because it's 12 foot long. Didn't need 12 feet, but that's what Lowe's had. So I bought 12 foot. Um, I did not want to do it, so I started with that. 
I made four cuts, guys, and it took me over an hour. <laughs> and that was not even the worst part. I sat it up there, and I'd already sanded it and really, you know, made it all pretty. Um, well, it was cut wood. And I put it up there, and it looked great until I noticed. I just started looking at it, and I was like, you know, that, that doesn't seem straight. It was more like this. I don't even know how I did that. The saw blade wasn't angled like that. I don't know how I managed it, but it was like, it was crooked. Like if you stood it up, they would just fall straight down. Who needs 19 inch nightstands? Not us, 17 inches better. So uh, <laughs> I had to trim them back down, put them on the table so I couldn't mess that one up. Uh, <laughs> cut them back down. I ended up done at like, oh, it was like 1.30 a.m. And I still had to get a shower and be at work at 7 a.m. the next day. That next day, I wish I had just bought her AirPods. Like I'd originally planned. Sometimes DIY projects don't go as planned, okay? Uh, for example, I have some pictures. There's, there's a whole internet meme list called Pinterest fails. If you've not endeavored in that, oh, you are missing out. So let, let's see the first one. I brought a couple. That one, yes. We tried that. Lennon ate most of the lights, I think. Uh, okay, let's, let's go to the second one. Mm -hmm. Every time I try to cook something on Pinterest. Um, Facebook friends, it is a waffle that failed, okay? Every time I try, it sticks. Why do things stick like this? Every time I make pancakes, they come out looking like scrambled eggs. I don't know why. Okay, move on. And this one, this one is great. I mean, it sort of looks like a train. You get the idea. Anyway, that's... Typically, when I try something off Pinterest, this is what happens, right? Now, I will say the, the worst part of my DIY project was not building anything. I, I actually got the bed built, and it's nice, and she loved it, right? The hardest part is in doing it myself, I planned to move the bed into the bedroom on Christmas Day. Thus, I had no help because I didn't want to ask anyone else, right? I didn't want to interrupt their Christmas plans. The problem is my headboard is two by eights that are 96 inches wide, they're about five or six deep with two by 12 nightstands with four edges, it weighs over 300 pounds. And there are stairs. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so I endeavored to, uh, to move this into the room myself in which I didn't want to tell Jessica what room it was in, so I just had to kick her out that part of the house um, for what was gonna be a couple minutes, turned out to be like an hour or so. Uh, as I tried to move it. Now, I had like a stand like holding it up the whole time I was working on it. And as soon as I moved it and felt the weight, I was like, oh no. <laughs> because I started to try to pull it and it didn't budge. And it was at that point, I think maybe I bit off a little more than I could chew, right? It was, it was at that time that I couldn't quite do it myself. You should know that I did very dangerously. I recorded it, but I didn't bring it because y'all don't need to see that. Anyway, it got there, okay? I, I pushed, I pulled, I used towels, I dirtied blankets, like I did everything I could to finally get it into the room and positioned against the wall. Um, but on that day, I did a little bit more than I should have myself, right? On that day, I needed someone there to help me or someone there to just say, quit, you're being stupid, you're going to hurt yourself, right? I need that in life, I really do. You're not going to hurt my feelings. But on that day, I needed someone else. It was one of those things I should not have done myself. Now, I bring that up because in Romans 7, Paul is going to be targeting people that are full of a do-it-yourself mentality, 
right? He's going to be talking. We read in Romans 6 last week that Paul is talking to a group of people that took grace too far, right? If you can take grace too far. I don't think I said that right. They thought that because they were saved by grace that they, they had the free will to sin, right? Because you were saved by grace, you could just do anything you want. Paul said, God forbid. Now, I found that as humans, we, we go to either one extreme or the other, right? Either we're saved by grace, therefore we can do anything we want, or we are saved by grace, but since we can't do anything we want, that means we must keep the law, right, to please God. And this is the group Paul's going to be talking to today. He's going to be talking to, uh, like, the Jewish believers at this time that were saying and teaching that, yes, you follow Jesus, but you also follow, follow the law of Moses, and so Paul's going to be talking to these guys, and I, I bring up the do-it-yourself because that's very much what this law was. It was very much a do-it-yourself mentality. It was you were working for your own salvation, right? You had to not do these things, and then you had to do these things, and then you had to be this good, and you had to be this righteous, and then maybe if you sacrifice the right animal, you could be saved. It was very much a do-it-yourself mentality. The problem is, is that none of us are capable of fulfilling the law, right? I mean, the law was set in place and then no human could actually follow it. We were not capable of doing it ourselves. It was much too much, much too much, more too much. It was too much for us to handle, right? The law was too much. So, so Paul today is going to be talking uh, to these Jewish believers, and I'm really going to let Paul say uh, most of everything else because I found that the things that he says in this passages could make you mad if you didn't know it was from the Apostle Paul, Okay. Because it's a, it's a little bit contradictory to what most, we mostly think about the law. Um, so I'm going to let Paul do a lot of the talking. We'll, we'll read. We're going to start in Romans 7. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, flip there now. If not, it's on the, the app on your phone. So you can highlight and take notes and do all kinds of fancy stuff. If not, we have a giant sky Bible. That'll be right above my head here. All right. So we're going to start in Romans 7. Yes. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with law. Okay, stop. Um, we didn't make it too far. But, but notice this when you're reading Scripture that Paul right here designated an audience. He's saying, you who are familiar with the law. So he's obviously talking to Jews or possibly Gentiles that were somewhat scholarly and knew the law. So he's talking, um, I'm going to say Jews, those that know the law. He's going to address them. Okay, let's read on. Now, dear brothers and sisters... You who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. Don't get any ideas. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. Okay, we're going to pause right there for just a moment and, and address what Paul is talking about, okay? So in this passage, Paul is not talking about God's commandment for marriage and divorce. This could be about God's commandment. I don't know. Paul starts and he says, for example, he's using this, the customs of this time, the customs of marriage and divorce of this time, he is using as an illustration to illustrate our relationship with the law, right? He relates the law to a marriage covenant, that you and I, we are married to the law. 
Now he goes on to say that a woman is married to the law while her or married to her husband as long as her husband is alive, right? So we can assume this means that you and I are in a covenant relationship with the law, assuming both parties remain living. But Paul is going to go on in the, in the next couple of verses, and he's going to say, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. So Paul is saying that we are, we were in a covenant relationship with the law. However, when we died, when we followed Jesus, when we gave Jesus our life, we died. We went down into the grave with him. That's what baptism symbolizes, us going down into the grave with Jesus. Therefore, we have died to the law and we are no longer underneath the law, right? We died to the law, thus uh, we, we are above the law, right? We are free from the law. And, and when we died with Jesus, we are also resurrected with Jesus, and we now live a new life in the Spirit. Now, I, I want to bring up, uh, I got an illustration for you guys. I got a, uh, I got a balloon. We're going to give him a name. We're going to name him Michael, okay? So, uh, not, not you, another Michael. So, Michael, he's a messed up dude. And, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, swear, another Michael. Um, <laughs> so, Michael is... Uh, is he, he tries really hard. I really, I'm having a hard time now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him Dwight. I'm going to call him Dwight. The, the illustration changes. stays the same. All right, this is Dwight now, okay? He, uh, he did a switcheroo. Now he's Dwight. Okay, so Dwight is sort of a messed up dude. And, and I mean, he tries, right? He has the best of intention. He really does that. He really tries to do good. He, he wants to do good, and, and he tries, but no longer how much he tries, he is still in bondage to the law, right? He is still enslaved to the law, and no matter how much he tries, he still falls under the law. That law, of course, is the law of gravity, and I meant to let it fall so I could illustrate that, right? Dwight is in bondage to the law. He is enslaved to the law, but, but Dwight's friends, uh, Jim and Pam, they, they come up to him. Ah, oh, I thought more of y'all would get that one. All right. <laughs> So Dwight's friends, Jim and Pam, they say, hey, Dwight, I know you're having a tough time right now. I know life isn't quite going right. We think you should come with us to church. This is church. It's full of something. <laughs> Hot air. Uh, they say, Dwight, I think you should come to church with us. And Dwight, he's at such a low place that, that he just feels so bad that he says, okay. Okay, I think I'll come with you to church. And, and he gets to the church, and, and, and he's greeted. I don't know if my people online can see this. Oh, well. Uh, he, he's greeted, and, and he feels welcomed. And, and while he's there at the church, he starts to get filled up a little bit, right? Oh, Dwight. Dwight, buddy. Well, Dwight has a problem, okay? Uh, do we have a backup balloon? Do we have a backup Dwight? He needs a new body. That's how this thing works. I don't know. Check back there. All right, we'll come back to this one, all right? <laughs> Dwight, Dwight has some issues. We're going to get those issues corrected in the next few minutes, okay? But, but Dwight, <laughs> no matter how much he tries, he is still bound by the law. And actually, I have more balloons, but I don't know where they are. So we may have to scrap that one. Do you have any luck? No? Okay. We will move on. We will come back to Dwight. Uh, we're going to move on in Scripture then. All right. As a result, <laughs> Paul goes on, So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. 
You died to the law, and when you died with Christ, and, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Right? I think this is, uh, I see I'm scrambling back there. Get me a balloon. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome. I think this is important but because it says, it says, as a result, and anytime you see that, like an as a result or therefore, or a but, any kind of transitional statement, you should always reflect back, see what it's there for, right? And he says that we are united with Christ, we are united with the one and raised from the dead. So as a result of that, we can produce a good harvest of good deeds, right? We can produce a harvest of good deeds. It's important because a lot of people assume that when we are made free with Christ, right, when we are, when we are set free and we no longer have to follow a law, right? When we are no longer contained to a certain set of rules, like when we don't have a certain set of do's and don'ts, that at that point we will get lazy and essentially go to sin. However, what Paul is saying here is that because we are saved, hey, Dwight, you made it. Because we are saved, oh, I got two. All right, because we are saved, come on, Dwight, get it together. Because we are saved, we will do good deeds, Right? Because we are made new, because God has found us, God has saved us, God has rescued us from our brokenness, because of these things, we will produce good works. Now, something my students I'm sure are familiar with, I've probably talked to them too many times about, it, it, one of my favorite phrases is Geigo. Now, if you're not in the computer world, this may mean nothing to you. Um, but if you're a techie like me and you've done any kind of programming, the, the term Geigo means garbage in, garbage out. So if you're writing code and you code garbage, right, if you're lazy and you just write bad code, you're going to get garbage results, right? So what you put in is what you get out, right? And that is the same thing with us. What we put in is also what we get back out. So if we are constantly taking in and consuming garbage, if we're constantly taking in trash, right? If we're constantly taking in bad things, if we're constantly taking in negativity, if we are constantly taking these things into us, that is exactly what will come back out of us. But I made up a new one for this one. I call it hi-ho. It's fun to say, and it also means holiness in equals holiness out. That when we take in good things, right, when we take in the love of God, when we take in Scripture, and when we, take in, we, when we pray and we go to God and we consistently take in good things, good things will be produced from us, right? It's very hard to know and love a good God and not, be, and not produce good deeds, Right? It's very hard to, to know Jesus and not want to help your neighbor. So when we put in good things, when we take in holiness, we will produce holiness results. Now, back to my illustration about Dwight. All right? Dwight, what? No, I got two. This one's broken, though. <laughs> Thank you. So Dwight here, he got invited to church by his friends Jim and Pam. Okay, And, and he says, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to church. And while he's at church, uh, this is him entering church, while he's at church, he, he hears a message, right? And uh, it, it does, it speaks to him. Oh, look at Dwight getting filled up. All right. And, uh, and it produces good things, right? And he's starting to feel good, and he's starting to feel it. And, and while he's at church, he starts to make some friends, and just hanging out with those friends, it just, it fills him up even more, right? And, and, then, and then while he's there, he hears that music, and he, and he worships Jesus, and it fills him up even more. Right, and, and Dwight is feeling pretty good. But you know what happens? Saturday comes, right? Saturday comes and Dwight goes out and he has a, has a good time. But while he's doing that, he's slowly being deflated, right? 
It's slowly being taken back out of him. And, and all of a sudden, Dwight is susceptible to the law again. That he tried, but now, he, now he's feeling down. But you know what's so cool? Is that we as Christians, we produce good deeds. Right? This worked out better, I think. We produce good deeds. So guess what? His friends, Jim and Pam, they see that Dwight's down. They see that he messed up. He may have went back to his old ways or his old habits. And they come up to him and they're like, Dwight, buddy, buddy, it's It's okay. It's okay, I know that you messed up. I know that you're feeling down. I know you're feeling deflated, right? I know how you're feeling, but that's okay. You're not serving a God that judges you because of your one mistake. You're serving a God who knew that mistake and died on your behalf anyway, right? And they say, you are still loved. You are still a child of God. I know you're feeling down. I know you're feeling broken, but come back to church with me. Come on, let's just go back to church. And, and when he gets back to church, something amazing happens. He walks into that church building and he, he walks down with his head, his head hanging because he knows he messed up and he knows everyone knows he messed up. But he, when he walks into that building, he experiences the exact same love he walked in the first time with. And he gets filled back up because through the actions of God's people, he knows that God loves him. And that while he's there, he just experiences love and he experiences acceptance and he experiences something he had never experienced out in the world. That there was no condemnation. That there was no judgment. There was simply love. And that love filled him up so much until finally the day came when he decided that he was going to change this whole church thing. And he was going to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And it was on that day that Dwight was secured in Jesus. Amen. Get this balloon tied all up. There we go. It was on that day when Dwight accepted Jesus, that he accepted his salvation, he accepted his eternal gift. It was that day that Dwight died with Jesus. He went down into the grave with him, and it was on that same day he got set free. You see, he's no longer bound to the law. He's no longer held down by the condemnation and the bondage of the law because he's been accepted and made holy and righteous by a holy and loving God. It's on that day that he was truly free. It's on that day that we are truly free. That no matter what, we are loved and accepted by a holy and gracious God. And that that law that condemned us, God made a way for us to, to get through that, to overcome that, to be made righteous in His sight. God made a way for that to happen. Paul goes on. He says, when we are controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. Now, this is one, this is one that I struggled with. I struggled with this one about all week as I was preparing for this message. Because uh, that whole, the law, which we're talking about the law of Moses here. The law that God actually gave. So in this scenario, it seems like Paul is saying that this law causes him to sin. Right? That this law causes him to sin. And that just, it was so hard for me to wrap my head around uh, until Thursday uh, at work. I work part-time at a, a parts store and I deliver parts to people, different mechanic shops and stuff. Um, I, was, I was just doing a delivery. Uh, and this particular time, I, I delivered the part and it was, it was a guy I hadn't seen before. And, and he took my paper from me, and uh, he just signed it right in the middle of the page, which was, was confusing to me because there's very clearly a spot that says sign here, and it has a little line that's blank, and it's, it's where you sign because it told you to. 
And I, could t- I guess he could tell I was puzzled because uh, he looked at me and he said, I like to sign where I'm not supposed to just to mess with people. <laughs> well, okay then. But I mean, it's funny in that day, that was, I don't know if it was a God moment, but it clicked with me exactly what Paul meant here. You see, we as humans, right, we, we have an innate ability to rebel. We have an innate ability to lean towards sin. I'm not saying it was a sin he signed where he wanted. I don't care where he signs. I don't even know if he has to sign it. I'm just told to make him. But we have the innate ability to go against the grain, right? Think, think about it with me. Last time you seen big yellow pole and there's a sign on it that said, wet paint, don't touch. I didn't want to touch it before. I had no desire to touch that yellow pole. But now, right? I mean, and we're just like, okay. Like, we gain nothing from that, but we were told not to do it. Therefore, when, oh wait, or what about this one? Don't press the red button. The red button wasn't even tempting. I hadn't even thought about the red button. But now I must know what the red button does. Right? Have you ever been in a museum and they have like the mannequin or whatever, the, the life figure? Like uh, at the Creation Museum, they have like a Moses and it's like, don't touch Moses. And I'm like, doo-doo-doo. Right? Like, <laughs> you just have to do it because it told me not to do it. And we had this... We have this desire to do what we're told not to do. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here is that the law aroused these evil desires. He's saying that since the law said, I cannot do this, that's all I want to do now. Right? It's like, I had no desire to steal until I said I couldn't steal. Right? And and it's interesting because when you frame it like that and you kind of get it in the right framework, you realize it's not the law that is bad. Right? It's not, it's not, the paper's fault that I touched the wet paint, right? The, the, the paper was doing its job. It was supposed to tell me that the paint was wet. Therefore, I should not touch said paint. But it was my desires, right? It was my own sin nature. It was my own act of rebellion, my own curiosity that got the best of me and made me do what I was not supposed to do. Therefore, the law itself is not bad. The law is simply doing its job. It's put in a place to protect us, to give us guidelines that we are to follow. It is our own evil desires, right? It's our own acts of rebellion that lead us to sin, right? And Paul is saying that the law aroused this sin in him. So let's read on. He says, but now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. He says that because we are no longer in the law, that we can then obey God in a new way, right? We we don't obey God because of the law, right? If we obey God because of the law, we're obeying God because we can get saved that way. And that is acts of selfishness, essentially. That if, if we do this thing that God wants us to do so that we can be saved, well, we're not doing it for God, we're doing it for us, right? If, uh, if you were stranded on the side of the road and I came up and helped you fix your car, which is extremely unlikely, but if that happened, and then I was like, all right, that'd be 50 bucks. That wasn't very generous, was it? No, because I'm then getting something from it. Right? And when we are under the law, when we followed God, we served God by the letter of the law, it is then that we were doing it on our behalf. 
that we were following the law so that we might be made righteous. But you see, when we are free from the law, and we do, we serve God, we serve God out of others' ambitions. We serve God for God, right? We serve others for others. We're not serving it for ourselves because we are already saved, right? We, we already have our salvation secure, so we're not serving on behalf of ourselves. We're serving on the behalf of someone else. We're serving then out of love, right? We can serve out of selfishness, or we can serve out of love, and Paul is saying that we serve God, not like we used to, but now we serve God in the new way, living in the Spirit. Paul goes on, and this was my big question, read this about 15, 16, 17, 18 times, and I still read this, and I'm like, Paul, it still sounds like you're saying it's sinful. But he says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. Again, really like complexing. Paul is saying that the law is not evil, right? The law is holy, just, and good. But sin uses the law to arouse us, right? It uses the law to, to lead us to sin, right? It uses the law so that it says, hey, you know, don't touch that red button, right? Don't covet. Don't, don't have idols. Don't place things above God, right? It uses that. Sin uses that to lead us to sin. Paul goes on, at one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Now we're about to, we're about to read kind of the final passage of Romans 7. And in that, you're really going to see the DIY mentality. You're going to see the do-it-yourself mentality. In fact, just for fun... As I read, try to count the amount of times you see I or another personal pronoun like me or my, okay? This is Paul talking about being under the law. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I am doing what I am doing, I'm gonna, I can't count anymore. <laughs> we're, we're like eight. Y'all want to know where to pick up. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, which is, which is interesting. He says, if I know that what I am doing is wrong, Yet I do it, that's showing that I know that the law is right. Because if the law says to do the opposite of this thing, and I know that this thing is wrong, thus the law must be good. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. 
So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. It's our sin nature that we were born with that lives inside of us. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And we had a message on, on Wednesday with the youth, and, and we talked about how when we wake up every single day, that, that there was a battle raging, right? That when you wake up, when your feet hit the ground, there was a battle raging. It's who are you going to serve on this day? Are you going to serve ding, 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 sin? Who, uh, as, as was said Wednesday, sin who, is, who has been undefeated for the last 60 days, Or today, are you going to get up and serve the Spirit of God who wants the good things for you? And it's it's on that. Who are you going to serve? Which are you going to side with? And each moment, each day, we're making a decision with every action that we take, which one we're going to serve. Are we going to serve sin or are we going to serve the Spirit of God? And Paul is saying that there is a powerful force raging inside of him. He says, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. He says that I am a slave to sin. That's how he ends Romans 7. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty deep statement. And I think it's interesting he says that we know the law, right? We know what is good and that we love God's law. And I think we do. I really do. I think because if we think in our mind what is good, what is holy, like it, we know that it's good to help people. It's good to take care of our family. It's good not to scream and yell at people. It's good not to give someone the finger in traffic, right? We we know essentially what is good. The problem is, is there is sin living inside of us and that it controls us. We know what is good, but Romans 6.23 says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And their problem is we have a sin nature inside of us, right? But we know what is good. And so an old Baptist preacher I heard one time say that when you preach, you should never leave Jesus on the cross or in the grave. I'm also going to say that we should not leave us condemned in sin. I'm not going to end this message with, I am a slave to sin. Is that super uplifting as we go into the world today? I'm a slave to sin. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to jump the gun a little bit. We're technically going to have six weeks in Romans 8. I'm just going to go a few verses in though. Can we do that? I think it's okay. We're going to go just a little bit into Romans 8, because the reason I'm going to do this is because we have to remember when Paul wrote this, it was written as a letter to the church in Rome. It was not written divided into chapters. It was not written divided into verses. So when Paul wrote this, he would have said, I am a slave to sin, and then he immediately wrote this next line. Okay, so I'm going to read this line, a couple of lines into Romans 8, and then we'll talk about that. So he would have said, because of my sinful nature, 
I am a slave to sin. And then he immediately wrote after that, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. Because of sin, I am a slave to sin, yet I am not condemned because of Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, right? God has done what the law that was weakened by our flesh, by our evil desires, that was weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As Paul just begins Romans 8, I can't wait till we get even further into it. That's just the beginning. He says, listen, he spends a whole chapter saying, hey, we can't live up to the law, right? Because of the law, we, we are more prone to sin. And because we are prone to sin, we are prone to death. And because we are prone to death, we're essentially going to die and, and we're going to be damned, right? That's what he is saying. In all of Romans 7 is like, we can't keep the law, therefore we are dead. But he starts off Romans 8 and he says, but there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You see, he's saying what you could not do is okay because Jesus went before you and he did it ahead of you. That what you could not do, no, you were not perfect. No, you couldn't uphold the law, but God sent his son and his son did. And his son was that perfect sacrifice for you. You see, I, I think I have a, 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 something happened the other day that I think is just a perfect illustration of us. I, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I love coffee. I, I drink coffee 24 hours a day, even when I'm asleep, apparently. And uh, I, was, I was in the bedroom and just talking to Jessica, and London had disappeared. And if you're new here, London's our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And she disappeared for a few minutes. And uh, I wasn't looking at the door, but I heard her, her footsteps coming toward the door. And, uh, and I just heard from behind me, Daddy. So I immediately turn and look at her. And I, I see London with my coffee mug that is about twice this size, that when she had picked it up was full of cold coffee. Uh, she looked at me, and she had it cling to her chest, and I, I, I immediately recognized the streak of coffee <laughs> all the way from where she picked up the cup. And I noticed that her clothes are drenched in coffee. But she looked at me and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, I, I bring you your coffee. Here you go. And I did. I, uh, I grabbed it from her and I took a big old swig of old stale cold coffee. And... And I got down and I, and I grabbed her and I just, I wrapped her in a hug and I said, thank you. And I just, I squeezed her as tight as I could. And I was covered in coffee and she was covered in coffee. And, and then we went and we got her changed and we went and cleaned up her mess. But I just thought this was the perfect illustration of how we look when we come to God. That we come to God and we, we have the law, right? We have the commandments. We know what we must do. We, we know what is right and what is holy and what is good. And, and we come to God and we're like, Father, here you go. And I think he looks at us and he sees our mess. 
He sees our brokenness. He sees us just covered in filth. He looks and he sees the, the, the trail of, of mess we've left behind us. What I think is so awesome is because I think God comes down to us and he gets back down on our level. And he says, oh, wow. Thank you. I love it. And then he wraps us up in a big hug. Because he knows we've messed up. He knows we've failed. He knows we've fallen short. He knows we've left a, a trail behind us of brokenness. But he wraps us up. He says, I know you're a mess, but I love that mess. God knows where we've been and what we've done and how messed up we've been. He hugs us because we are his children and we are never beyond his love. And no matter what we've done, how messed up we've gone, how big of a mess we've come to him in, it says that while we were sinners, while we were absolutely disgusting, Christ died for us. God loves you. No matter what. You see, there's, there's, there's a law. And there's a right and wrong way to do things. The problem is, is that we were, we were a mess. And we just could not live up to that law. And we came to God broken and messy. And he said, it's okay. It's okay. I'll take care of it. And he took a swig, right? He took a swig of our sin. Jesus came to earth. The Son of God took on flesh and bone and endured a life of cruelty so that he could one day live a perfect, sinless life, that he could be the one that fulfilled the law once and for all. That he took on flesh, he took our sin on his back and he put it on the cross. You see, we could not live up to the law, but Jesus could. And Jesus did. And in our mess, he lifted us up. And he says, I love you, child. No matter what, no matter how messed up you feel or how messed up you are or what you've done or where you've been, I accept you and I love you in the middle of your mess. You are never too far gone. You see, Jesus came on our behalf that Jesus, God himself, came to earth and took the cross on our behalf because we could not live up to the law that we fell short time and time again. But God could not stand the thought of being separated from us. He loved us that much. You were made for his love. And I just want you to know, because I know there's someone in here. And God just wants you to know that yes, you may be a mess. And you may have failed time and time again. And, and you don't even feel worthy anymore and, and you walk into church with your head held low because you know you've messed up God wants you to know that you are never beyond his love that you are loved beyond understanding that God when he went to the cross he didn't see all your good deeds no he's seen your mess he's seen your mistakes he's seen your past present and future sins and he loved you so much that he went to the cross and gave his life for you. Each person individually, God knew the very hairs on your head and he gave his life on your behalf. He loves you 
Don't think this message is for someone else. It is for you. You who think you don't deserve that love, He loves you. Right where you are, in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your darkness, He has not left you, nor has He forsaken you. He loves you right where you are. Jesus, we love you. You're amazing.